This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is entitled Experimentation Gone Amok. As I like to say, science versus human nature. Meaning, our first radio play delves more into the scientific research that goes awry, while our second story deals with extreme mind games and ugh, obscene manipulation. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Quiet Please and Peril. The first radio play is called Northern Lights and it was first broadcasted on Quiet Please on January 30th, 1949. Our second radio story is called The Experiment. Unfortunately, I was not able to find a broadcasting date for this episode on peril. So, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Northern Lights, followed by The Experiment. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. The American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, please, for today is called Northern Light. This is a story about the temporal displacement of mass. It is also a story about teleportation. Do you know what those terms mean? No, I didn't think you did, but you stay right where you are, my charming friend, and you're quite likely to find out. You just stay right there and listen. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And maybe... Well, maybe a couple of things you're not terribly anxious to know. Ever see the Northern Lights? Aurora Borealis is their right name. You don't see them very often below the 50th parallel of latitude in this country, but up in northern Minnesota and Canada, upper New York, places like that. They're quite common of a winter night. 
If you've seen them, you'll know what they look like. If you haven't, there's no use by trying to describe them. Sometimes they fill a whole northern sky with waves of color, like a fire burning way beyond the horizon. Sometimes they're just long streamers of fire filling up the whole sky. And another time they look like gigantic, fringed curtains of pure light, swaying as if some cold cosmic breeze plucked at them, way far off there to the north. And you can hear them, too, sometimes. Well, maybe not exactly hear them, but, but there's a sound, a humming, a, a crackling somewhere inside your head. And there are times when you'd swear it's a voice talking to you, talking in some kind of strange language you can almost understand, filling your whole being with a kind of desperate, inescapable terror. You know what I mean? At night, in the cold night, voices talking and saying things to you that you can almost understand, filling the night sky with signs and portents of inescapable terror. And nobody, nobody in the whole world knows what they are, nobody in this world at least, except me. And after I get done talking to you, you'll know too. And you won't be happy. Let me show you something now. This is from a recording I made on, uh, let's see, December 13th, 1948, a little more than a month and a half ago. I started the recorder while Norman and I were just about finished with our work that afternoon here in the laboratory. I just set the microphone on top of the file cabinet there and turned on the machine. Listen, I'm going to play it back for you. The quality isn't so very good, but you can recognize my voice and, and Norman's, I think. Here. Uh, I got the call. Rewound now, I guess. Did you test it? How can I test it when I said I just got a rewound? Uh, hurry up. It's almost six o'clock. Yeah. Well, it's dark, but I didn't realize the time. Hurry up. I'm hurrying. Um, be a display tonight, you suppose? How do I know? Been a display the last three nights. Well, that was a dinger last night, wasn't it? Yeah, the machine wasn't ready. Hey, listen, now, do you think you can do better than I can? Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, I stuck my finger. Where'd you... Where'd you put the copper sulfate? Um, oh, up above the sink. Huh? Oh, I got it. What are you doing? Testing the coil. How's it? Oh, it looks okay. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be right with you. Uh, hook it up. What are you going to send? Try my cigarette lighter. That won't work anyway. I'll, I won't miss it if we don't get it back. I don't know how the thing will work when the northern lights aren't shining. Well, maybe they are shining. Turn off the room light. Let's see. All right. Pretty early, I uh... What's the matter? Hey, look. Ooh. Out early tonight. Oh, boy, that's fine. The whole sky. Look. Blue and yellow. See, I, n I never saw those long fringes. Before. Never the same. Oh, say, did you turn on the recorder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's turning over. Let's see. <clears throat> now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. Now leave it alone. Uh, you about ready now? Well, it's funny about the Aurora. Northern Lights? Listen to this part closely, friend. Oh, I don't know. Remember what I told you. Y you can almost hear the darn things. Uh, not hear them, I mean, but it's... Uh, 
It's kind of like somebody talking to you in a language you can you can almost understand. I don't know. I mean, do you ever notice it? Sure. High frequencies, I guess. Something. Awful lot we don't understand. Look, uh, you go there at the recorder and talk into the mic. Talk what? Well, just describe what happens for the record. I know I'm not, sir. I know you're not, but just say what you see so we'll have an accurate record. Okay. Now? Go ahead. <clears throat> this is an experiment in the temporal displacement of a solid object. Uh, in other words, the first actual demonstration of a time machine. If it works. It'll work all right. Go on. Paul is now placing his old beat-up cigarette lighter on the stage of the hypercucambulator, and he is now setting the microchronometer to determine how far into the future he's going to send the lighter. Well, how far, Paul? Uh, ten seconds. Ten seconds. Now, at, at the end of that time, if our calculations are correct, and we hope they are, the cigarette lighter will reappear. In that period of time, it will have been into the future. Uh, we could send it farther into the future if we wanted to, I guess, but we'd just have to wait that much longer for time to catch up with it and make it reappear. But ten seconds, well, I mean, uh, we can prove our point by sending it ten seconds into the future just as well as ten years ahead, and this way we don't have to wait so long. Hey, how am I doing, Paul? I go into your commercial. When Paul presses the little button, the cigarette lighter will turn to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not right. It'll be here, but it'll be ten now, seconds. Listen away. closely, please. Yeah. Well, now, What's um, going to happen? Mr. Paul McGilligan, a famous mad scientist, is about to press the big old button and send his lighter into the future. You ready, Paul? Here we go. Stand by. Look, gone. By golly, it is gone. It just disappeared, bang, like that. Hold your watch up close to the mic, Paul, so it'll record. Yeah. Um, the, the, the written sign of the lighter. Uh, the little stage on which Paul placed it is empty, and it should uh, appear again in, in just a second if it really did work. Three, two, one. It's back! Hey, it's back, Norm! It worked! We made it! Oh, man, let's, let's see if it's all right. Oh, oh. now what? Oh, the lighter. Oh, it's cold, Paul. Ooh, here, here, here. Take it, take it, Paul. Take it. Oh, it's freezing cold. What do you know? Look, the darn thing's like a piece of ice. Now, where the dickens do you suppose it's been in that 10 seconds? No, wait, friend. No, you're, That's you're not right. the payoff you, yet. You said, oh, only in the future. Listen. Time's caught up with it. It's back, but... Hey, Paul, look. Where did that come from? What? There on the stage where the lighter was. Where'd that come from? In the middle of winter. place where the cigarette lighter went. What are you talking about? Well, feel it, Paul. Feel its fur. See? It's as cold as ice, too. A caterpillar. A little brown and black caterpillar, the kind they call woolly bears. You know, larva of the tiger moth, the icy Isabella. In the dead of winter and as cold as ice. Where did it come from? Huh? You want to know. Incidentally, you know, the old-timers say that the 
Woolly bear caterpillar is a weather prophet. If the brown bands on his fur are narrow, there's a severe winter ahead. And if they're wide, it's going to be a mild winter. Yeah, maybe. This one, you could hardly see the brown bands. Tough weather ahead, that's what the old-timers would say. But where'd she come from? She wasn't there when we put the cigarette lighter on the stage. When time caught up again, there she was. She? Sure, Isabella. I see her, Isabella. Uh, I told you, remember? Well, she was wriggling happily when she arrived from somewhere in the future. But as she warmed up, she seemed to go into a trance, almost a, a death-like trance. So Norman said, put her in the deep freeze. Maybe she'll come to again in the cold. So we put her in the deep freeze. And in half an hour, when we looked in at her, she was wiggling happily. At ten degrees below zero, Fred. Can you tie that? My goodness, she should have been frozen solid. Well, nothing special happened for a couple of days. That, you remember, was a month and a half ago, December 13th, 1948. Where were you on the night of December 18th? Uh, Saturday night, a week before Christmas. I'd been Christmas shopping in the afternoon, I remember. I came back to the laboratory to check up on some stuff. And Norman was there, fiddling with things. Hi, Norm, I said... How's Isabella? You know something funny, Paul? What's the matter with you? Who, me? You look so pale. You sick? Eat something disagreed with you? Paul, Isabella's singing. Singing what? Uh, Isabella's singing? <laughs> You're dotty. She's singing. The caterpillar's singing. Not tap dancing, I hope. I'm not kidding you. Oh, I cut it out. Open the deep freeze and listen. You been at the C2H5OH? I haven't had a drink since Thursday night. Well, now, what? Open you... the deep freeze and listen. No kidding? No kidding. Well, we, we don't know where she came from. I won't be surprised at anything. Hello, Isabella. Hey, don't do that. What's the matter? Afraid she'll answer me back? Well, I don't know what. <laughs> Hello, Isabella. <laughs> I hear you singing. I told you. I don't hear anything. Now, listen, Paul. I haven't lost my buttons. I've been hearing it all afternoon. I couldn't figure out what was doing it, and then I noticed it was louder alongside the deep freeze here. So I opened it up and stuck my head inside, and it was coming from her. Yeah. What does it sound like, Norm? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, a-E-I. A-E-I? Didn't she say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes W and Y? Now don't rib me. I tell you, I heard it. <laughs> I think you better take a Christmas vacation, Norm. I'm not no, nuts. I know, kid. I know, but listen. We've been playing around with some pretty deep cosmic secrets, you and me. We've managed temporal displacement, which nobody in the world has ever done, see? Uh, maybe we both need a rest. You know what I think, Paul? What? I think we've managed teleportation, too. And we don't know it. Teleportation? You mean like Charles Ford talks about? I mean transporting tangible objects from one place to another without any mechanical means. Electronically? I don't know, Paul. All I know is that that cigarette lighter was someplace where it was awful cold. And it wasn't cold here in this room. Well... And where did that caterpillar come from? I don't know. It came from wherever that cigarette lighter went, Paul. But where? I don't know. Somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to find out where it came from. You are? And how, may I ask you? I'm going to modify this gadget of ours, this 
hypercucambulator so it'll carry a man. And then, my dear boss, I'm going to sit down in it and have you send me out there somewhere in time and space and come back and tell you all about it. That's all for tonight, bud. What? Come on, I'll take you out and buy you a drink. I'm not fooling, Paul. Okay, okay, you're not fooling, Norm. Get your hat and coat and come on. <laughs> I prescribe hot buttered rum. Well... Turn off the lights. Will you listen to me for Turn a minute? Turn off the lights. I want hot buttered rum. Okay, okay. Gosh, look out of that window. The northern lights. Oh, they're really bright tonight. They sure are. Look how they pulse. Up, down. Up, down. Norm. Up, one. Look at the deep freeze there in the dark. What about? You see it? Light, Paul. Light. It's a... It's... I see it, Norm. It's right in step with the northern lights. And the same color. Red, red. Blue, blue. Up, down. Up. Coming from the deep freeze where our little friend Isabella was singing to you. Now, what do you... Paul, listen. I don't... Listen. endlessly repeating A-E-I-O-U, the vowel sounds of our speech, and watching the light that pulsed up from the deep freeze in perfect rhythm with the flickering of the northern lights we watched through the window. And we thought long, long thoughts that I... Well, I don't remember any too clearly now. I do know we both of us thought of ways to perfect our little mechanism, our time machine. Our machine that brought back a little cold brown and black caterpillar from somewhere. And when it was morning, and the lights had faded from the northern skies, we found that our machine was very different. The stage where we found the caterpillar was larger now. I had only a vague recollection of what had happened in the night. I said to Norm, Norman, I said, what did we do last night? I don't know for sure, Paul. Did we rebuild that thing? Make it larger? I don't know. I... It seems... Well, I, I mean, I think I dreamed I was working on it. I think I hit my finger with a hammer. I see. Hmm. Hmm. Thumb's all bruised. Certainly looks it. Well, nobody could have gotten in here. The door's locked. The machine's certainly different. This coil, I think. Look. It's rewound it. Did I do that? My head hurts. Mine too. Oh, I don't get it. I don't either. I wish I could. Listen, Norm. What? Maybe we did change it. But I... Well, how could we have done all that by ourselves? I got an idea. What? Why, maybe... Isabella helped us. The caterpillar? Oh, Let's you're... see, shall we? Open the deep freeze. Well, I opened it. It was empty. There wasn't any brown and black caterpillar in the deep freeze. We took a flashlight and looked over every inch of it. We stood there and looked at each other for a whole minute. 
Foreman said, well. I just shook my head. And we went over and sat down. All of a sudden, I said, I found her, Norman. And there she was. There was little Isabella, the caterpillar, crumpled up, stone dead on the floor of the laboratory. And you know, caterpillars have little tiny paws. And one of Isabella's paws was the end of a long piece of wire that ran up to the generator coil. Well, how did she get out? And I said the thing couldn't be opened from the inside. I said it was fastened down tight when I took the lid off just now. But she did get out. Maybe. Maybe she did help us, Norm, I said. And he just sat there and stared at me. And I got up and put on my overcoat. Where are you going? Where are you going, Paul? I said I'm going to find out something, Norman. Where I'm going, it's cold, I said. I know that, and I'm going to find out what's been going on and where that caterpillar came from. Norm goggled at me. I stepped on the stage of the machine that was to take me away somewhere in time space. I said, Norm, turn it on. over and touched the switch. He didn't say a word. And I braced myself. I nodded at him. Go ahead, I said. And he pressed the switch. And nothing happened at all. Nothing. Why? I know, Paul, I know. It's daylight. And there aren't any northern lights. just as well. So I had a chance to think about it a little, and I realized that just an overcoat wouldn't do me any good where I might be going. And so when it was dark night again and the northern lights were flickering and dancing in the sky, I put on a high-altitude aviator suit that had its own source of heat supply. Norman shook his head as I got back on the stage, nodded for him to press the switch. how dark it can get. Then I was standing on an immense plain that stretched so far, so far into the distance, a plain of snow and eternal ice. A dead, cold, white world with the blackest sky above me. And the northern lights reached from horizon to horizon. Even through the high-altitude suit, I could feel a biting cold. And I was afraid, shivering, abjectly afraid. The streamers of the northern lights reached down toward me and wrapped about me. I heard the sound of voices screaming into my mind. I, I could understand them. I wished heartily I'd never played around with cosmic forces. I yelled inside the heavy helmet. I yelled, Norman! Norman, bring me back! And there was nobody to hear me. No, I don't know where I was. Another planet? Maybe the North Pole? Maybe the lights were all around me. Maybe that's where it was, but... It was the most terrible, awful, cold, lonely place you could imagine in a hundred years. The lights, the flickering, living lights crawled over me and beat at me. I could almost understand what they were saying. And then, the crash. The sudden blackness. I was standing again in the laboratory. I'd left only a few short seconds ago, and Norman was 
tearing at the fastenings of my suit and beating at me with both hands. I wondered what in the world he was doing until I got the helmet off. He was brushing caterpillars off me. Thousands of coal, freezing coal, brown and black Isabella caterpillars. I was in bed for a week or more, I don't know how long. Wherever it was I'd been, I'd nearly frozen to death in those short seconds. And at last, I was able to come back to the laboratory. I sat there that night with Norman. And outside the windows, the northern lights were brighter than they'd ever been before. Purple, green, yellow, black lights even. And there was a new rhythm tonight. A kind of code. Almost words. Thoughts. Not quite formed and yet curiously disturbing. Norman, though, didn't seem to be as disturbed as I was. He, he just sat quietly and looked at me. Where did those caterpillars come from, Paul? I don't know. Where I was, that's all I know. Did you... Did they attack you? Or... I don't know. They came from the lights. The lights? The northern lights. Where are they, Norman? The caterpillars? Yes. Where are they? In the deep freeze, where Isabella was. Poor Isabella. What's the matter with you, Paul? I'm listening. Listening to what? Don't you hear them? I don't hear anything. Don't you? I don't hear anything. Well, listen. Listen. I don't hear anything. Turn on the recording machine. I want to see if we could pick up their voices. There isn't anything. Turn it Paul. on. Turn it on. I want a recording. Quick. Quick, Norman. They're talking to us. Listen, friend. I want to play you another recording. This is what came out of our tape recorder that night when I was listening to the voices. And Norman couldn't hear anything. Just listen. I still don't hear anything, Paul. Be still, listen. I tell you, I... Listen. What's that? Look at the deep freeze. The top's coming open. Look at the light around it, Paul. Be quiet. Watch. How did they... Good Lord, look. The caterpillars are coming out, Paul. Look at them. There's millions of them. Be still, Norman. But, but, but Paul, you, your voice... Be still, I said. What's the matter with your voice? We want to talk to you. You what? You you said we. Why, of course, Norman. We. Who for the... It is Paul's voice, Norman. Paul's voice. Voice. But it is not Paul speaking. Listen. We speak to you. Paul! Not Paul. We, the people of the lights. We from the cold. We are speaking to you with Paul's voice. I tell you that... Paul's voice will tell you what to do when the time comes, Norman. We go to the machine now. Paul's mind is ours for a little time now. We go to the machine. The machine that brought us to your world from the world of the lights. Who are you? Who... The people of the lights. To take over this world of yours. Only this world of yours is so hot. We must have the cold world. 
And we know how to make it cold. What's the matter, Paul? Paul! So, so hot. No, no. Quick, Norman. Turn on the machine. Send us to places in your world. No, our world. Hurry. So hot. Hurry. So hot. Paul. Hurry. Hurry. Turn on the machine. <laughs> That's the end of the recording. No, I don't know. I don't have any recollection of it at all. But the recording's there, isn't it? That must be what happened. Anyway, when I woke up, Norman was gone, and there were no caterpillars in the place here. And our machine, our machine that took people and things away into time and space, was wrecked. I don't know what became of it. You heard what they said about my voice. They're going to take over this world and make it a cold world, like the one they came from. Whatever that is, and wherever they went. No, I don't know where they went, where the machine sent them. I do have ideas. Yes. Are you cold? It's freezing in here. And just for example, uh, you read the papers? Look at the newsreels. Did you see the pictures of the snow in Los Angeles? In subtropical Los Angeles, where it hasn't snowed for so many, many years? I wondered about it, too. I wonder if anybody saw any brown and black woolly bear caterpillars in Los Angeles. Larva of the tiger moth I see, Isabella. Northern Lights. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And my laboratory assistant, Norman, was played by Dan Sutter. The voices of Isabella and her friends was that of Cecil Roy. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now for a word about next week. Our writer, director, my good friend, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, Please. For next week, I have a story for you that comes from the steel mills out South Chicago way. It's called Tap the Heat, Bogdan. <laughs> and so, until next week at this same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Now, a listening reminder. How are your predictions of things to come? What's your batting average? Compare your average with the man who has made predicting his business. Listen to Drew Pearson tonight on ABC. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Ralph Dixon. Perhaps I'm taking a risk by making this tape recording. Perhaps the time may come when this recording will be used against me. But my reasons for putting the facts of my experiment on record are far more important than the risk involved. After my death, this recording can be used to prove conclusively that fate is stronger than love. The experiment is almost ready. Very little remains to be done. Just a few little touches. The planning began a long time ago, but I didn't begin the actual work till yesterday when I called at the apartment of Madeline Parker. Hello. You remember me, don't you, Madeline? Why, of course. Ralph Dixon. Come in. She was surprised to see me. She would be even more surprised when she knew why I'd come to visit her. She was going to help me in my experiment. An experiment that could end only in death. back in just a minute to tell you more of tonight's story, The Experiment. Yes, she was surprised to see me, and not very pleasantly surprised either, but she concealed that with a charming smile. It's been quite a while, Ralph. Yes, six years. Won't you sit down? I'd rather look at these watercolors of yours. Your paintings improved, Madeline. Thank you. I went along to that exhibition of yours at the Morton Gallery. Most of the paintings had already been sold, but I was lucky enough to get a landscape, the harbor scene. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I'd much rather have bought some of the others. But then, I was never lucky where you're concerned, was I? I don't know what you mean. Of course you do. Ralph. Don't worry, my dear. I'm not going to try to make love to you. How's George these days? Fine. Lucky man, George. President of the senior class, captain of the football team, and soon he marries you. I wasn't surprised when I read of your engagement. You and George were always in love, weren't you? Almost from the moment I introduced you to each other. That's right, Doc. There was a photograph of the two of you in the newspapers the other day. You make a handsome couple. With all his hard work, George still has his boyish looks. I don't know how he does it. Look at me. My parents left me a fortune. I haven't a worry in the world. 
Here, I look closer to 40 than I do 30. Oh, I like this self-portrait, Madeline. May I buy it? Oh, I'm sorry, Ralph. It's not for sale. I'll pay a high price. Thank you, but no. The money had come in handy for you and George. That uh, research work he wants to do. How did you find out about that? George hasn't told more than half a dozen people. I know most of what there is to know about you and George, Madeline. Though we haven't seen each other all these years, I've kept in touch with your uh, activities. I know that George has ambitions. Oh, not for money. Dear me, no. He could have a wonderful medical practice on Fifth Avenue if he'd cultivate a, a bedside manner. But George has ideals. There are diseases he wants to stamp out. He's going to devote his life to the welfare of others. Is that wrong? It's not practical. But then, George Kelly was never very practical. He was always a handsome idealist who was able to do most things better than anyone else. You've never liked George, have you? I've been jealous of him ever since that day I introduced her to him. Ralph, there was never anything between you and me. That wasn't my fault. Look, I was always flattered by your attention, but... But you never encouraged me. I tried not to. That's right, Madeline. You were always true to George. And that was a thing I never could stand. Sorry. Sorry, I, I didn't want to lose my temper. On my way here, I told myself over and over again that I, I must lose my temper. I must be completely objective. Why did you come to see me, Ralph? Because, because of George's interest in research work. The type of research that he plans to do, Madeline will cost a good deal of money. You know that. How are you going to get the money? We're not sure. You're going to keep painting, of course. Oh, yes. That won't bring you nearly enough money. We'll think of something. I'm prepared to let George have 50000 Madeline, in cash. Why do you... Why do you want to do this, Ralph? Money means nothing to me. However, there's a little experiment I'd like to conduct concerning you and George. Experiment? Remember the psychology class during our last year's university? Yes. One day, Professor Wilson lectured on love. After the lecture, there was quite an animated discussion. I remember. My argument was that love is a state of mind that can be induced. But one could force himself or herself into falling in love if the stakes were high enough. And I said that that was an attitude of forced cynicism. I'm afraid quite a few of us lost our tempers. But George took your side. Love, he said, is something that can really happen only once to a person, that it comes from the heart. I said that the one way to disprove his argument was to find two persons who were ideally in love, and then to smash that love. It can't be done. Nothing will undo true love, eh? That's right. Love goes on and on and on, regardless of what happens to the parties concerned. Yes. Then you and George, you could never fall out of love. No. And perhaps you won't be afraid to try my experiment. Are you serious about this? Quite. There can't be any experiment to disprove love. I say that love can change to hate. No, not my love for George. And his love for you, how about that? It's the same thing. Are you prepared to test it? This is foolish. You're afraid. No. Then prove you're not afraid. Prove that George's love for you couldn't change to hate. I'm so sure it can that I'll give you 50,000 in cash, win or lose. I'll deliver it here tonight. On the condition that you live up to all the rules of my experiment. 50,000, Madeline. Enough for George to start his research work tomorrow. Are you 
painful serious about this. I'd never be more determined about anything. But what do you hope to gain? Satisfaction. All these years, I remember that afternoon in psychology class. You and George were so smug with your love, so contented and sure of yourself. Well, here's your chance to prove how great and wonderful your love is to yourselves and to me. But you can't. I know you can't. What if we do? You'll show me I'm wrong, but you'll still keep the money. I just can't understand what goes on inside you, Ralph. I'm a cynic. And I feel that I have ample reasons for remaining a cynic. Unless you and George can show me otherwise. Would it make any difference to you? Would it do you any good? It'll help me no matter what happens. If I win, then I can go on my merry way. If you and George win, well, I'll probably look around for some nice girl and settle down. I'd like to help you, Ralph. Well, here's your chance. Help me, George, yourself. It's easy. However, let me warn you, Madeline. If you lose, your entire world will fall around you. I won't lose. Then you agree with the experiment? Yes. Good. What are the rules for this experiment? They are complicated, so listen carefully. Uh, can you reach George by telephone? Uh-huh. Fine. In a few minutes, you'll phone him. You'll tell him that you want to see him at 8 tonight. All right so far? Yes. After that, you won't talk to him again till he arrives here at 8. I'm sure I can trust you, Madeline. You can. Good. When George gets here, I'll be listening from the other room. You'll tell him. You'll tell him that you found another man. A man with money that you're breaking your engagement. What a that prove? I'm not nearly finished yet. After you phone George, I'll go to see him personally. Why? To tell him of the experiment. Tell him? It's but... not as silly as it sounds. Listen. I'll tell George that as far as you're concerned... My experiment succeeds or fails on his reaction when you break the engagement. I'll then tell him that it'll be just the opposite, that my experiment's success will be determined by your reaction to his statement. His statement? Yes. He's going to tell you that he's happy the wedding is off, that he's been carrying on with another woman, that he's madly in love with her. But even that won't be the real experiment. For that, we'll use this. God. Don't be frightened. As you can see... The gun is loaded with blanks. I don't even begin to understand what you're getting at. It's simple. Mere statements aren't strong enough to prove my argument. It'll take something more savage. And how is the gun to be used? George will be watching for a reaction from you. Facial, verbal. He won't expect this to be in the cocktail cabinet. He won't expect you to point it at him. To press the trigger. To pretend... But you plan to murder him. Of course he won't be hurt. Not while there are blanks in the gun. Here, take the gun. Put it in the cocktail cabinet. What do you expect him to do when I fire the gun? He'll be surprised, perhaps frightened. He won't stop to wonder why he feels no pain, even though the gun was pointed at his chest. He'll react violently. He'll hit you. His love will turn to haste, and there'll be no doubt of it. You're wrong, Ralph. You think you'll react differently? Yes. How? I don't know, but I'm sure it won't be as you say. And his love won't turn to hate. That's right. It won't. We'll see. We'll see at eight tonight.
at the moment, we return to our story, The Experiment. Madeleine made her phone call to George Kelly. He said he'd go to her apartment at eight that night. She took my gun, loaded with blanks, and placed it in the cocktail cabinet. promising I'd bring the money in cash at 20 after 7. Then I went to see George Kelly at City Hospital. Ralph! Ralph Dixon. Hello, George. Well, uh, what can I do for you, Ralph? I have something important to tell you. Oh, yeah? I'd rather tell you someplace where there's no danger of being disturbed. Well, now, look, I'm on duty here at the hospital, Ralph. I can't leave. You can say what you want to say here in my office. First, I want to make sure that we're not disturbed for at least 15 minutes. All right. That can be arranged. Oh, Miss Damon, I'm not to be disturbed for the next quarter hour unless it's real emergency. Thank you. Well, Ralph, what is it? I told him more or less what I told Madeline concerning my desire to perform an experiment. You're crazy. But then I mentioned the money and how it would enable him to begin his research work. He became interested. When he heard that Madeline had agreed to the experiment, he argued no longer. He listened attentively. Finally. So the whole thing depends on Madeline's reaction when I tell her I've been playing around with another woman. Yes. It will be a violent reaction. I think you're going to be disappointed, Ralph. Perhaps. I still think the whole thing is crazy. But I can use that money of yours to help other people. I'll see you tonight, Ralph. It's now six, and I'll turn off the tape recorder. But at some later date, I'll be back to record the result of my experiment. There are just a few more things to do. First, this gun, a twin to the one I gave Madeline. Now, the final arrangement. And then I'm ready. Take it out of this. You ought to come in here more often, Mr. Uh, uh, what'd you say your name was? Carmichael. Nice of you to buy me drinks like this, Mr. Carmichael. Well, I could see you were down on your luck. Yeah, I'll say. How'd you like to make about 20? Uh-uh. I figured there was a catch to this. It's nothing illegal. It's just a little trick I'm trying. Yeah? And what does this trick consist of? Just a phone call. Phone call? Here you are. Whiskey. Have your drink, but make it the last one if you want to earn your 20. 
All right, let's hear about this uh, phone call. On this slip of paper is a telephone number. At 20 minutes to 8, call that number. Yeah? A woman will answer. Pretend you think she's someone else. Keep stalling as long as you possibly can. And then tell her you've dialed the wrong number. What else is there to it? Nothing. Here's five. If you make the call, I'll see that you get the other 15. Are you sure that's all I have to do? Quite. I'll leave the rest of the money here with a bartender tomorrow. I don't know what you're up to, Mr. Carmichael. For 20 bucks, I don't care. I'll make that phone call. Good. Hello, Madeline. Come in. Thank you. You know, you look a bit pale, my dear. I'm all right. Frightened? No. My, look at the time. I'm early. I, I think I'll sit down and relax for a while. Madeline, you haven't asked me what George thought of the experiment. It's obvious that he accepted. Yes, he really needs the money. Oh, the money. Here you are. It's in this briefcase. You may count it if you like. I won't bother. Oh, the phone. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll make myself a drink while you answer it. Help yourself. Thank you. Yes, Madeline Parker speaking. No, the cabinet door. Oh? But my name is... Who is this speaking? There. I tell you, my name is Madeline Parker. Now to change the guns. Fine. Yes. I'm afraid you have the wrong number. Goodbye. <laughs> wrong number, eh? I thought it may have been George calling up the experiment. He'll be here. I hope so. Now that everything's ready. We'll be back in a minute to Peril and our story, The Experiment. If... It's almost exactly eight. Well, George is right on time. I'll go into the other room. Make it good, Madeline. I'll do my best. Hello, George. Hello, Madeline. Well, no kiss for me? I asked you to come here, George, for a very important reason. So important that I don't get my kiss? Uh, this is something I should have told you a few weeks ago. You make it sound serious. It is. Well, what is it? I can't marry you, George. Can't? I'm sorry. What's happened, Madeline? The usual thing. Another man. Another... I'm in love with him. Desperately in love. You said the same thing about me. I was wrong. Madeline, are you sure there's another man? I wouldn't joke about a thing like that. I'm sorry, but I can't marry you. That's all there is to it, George. Well, that's a relief. Relief? Yeah. You see, I've been going with another woman for weeks now. 
I'm crazy about her, Madeline. I, I just didn't know how to tell you, but I was sure of one thing. I wasn't going to give her up, even if we went through with our marriage plan. During these last weeks, you and some other woman... Well, you've been seeing this other fellow, haven't you? I need a drink. Good idea. Pour one for me while you're at it, will you? All right, George. How about making it a celebration? There's a bottle of good brandy here in the cabinet. Sounds fine. Now, where's that brandy? Huh? Here we are. Madeline. Another woman, eh? Put away that. I'll show you. George. George! He won't be getting up, Madeline. What? There's been a change in my plans. Here's the gun with the blanks. While you answer the phone, I switch guns. I killed George? Yes, you killed him. No, you're the murderer. <laughs> Quite. I've always hated George. Hated him because you loved him. I thought it'd be poetic justice if you killed him. And you said you loved me. I did, Madeline. I did. Now, give me that gun. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. I told you, didn't I, that I would prove that love could turn to hate. You didn't prove anything. Yes, I did. Not with you and George, Madeline, but with me. Me. Once I loved you. Yes, I was madly in love with you. But now I hate you. Hate you so much I'm going to kill you. What? You fooled only yourself, Ralph. You? You're wasting your time, Ralph. Uh, George, both guns are loaded with blanks. You see, we thought something like this might happen. Uh, I put another gun in the cabinet. And before that, I placed a third gun behind the bottles, loaded with blanks. Uh, you guess. We didn't know exactly what would happen, but we took no chances. Madeline saw how dangerous you were, so when you left her, she phoned me again. We talked it over after I saw you, and uh, then we went to the police. Police? But no one was hurt. You can't lay any charges against me. Oh, yes, we can. What charge? Attempted murder. But you can't prove it, can't we? How? How can you prove it? A flower vase. Have a look beneath the flowers. Huh? Well, go on. Uh, a microphone. Well, this won't do you any good now. <laughs> Breaking the wire doesn't make any difference, Ralph. Huh? Did you hear enough, Lieutenant Garcia? Yeah, and we got to record it. We also got the tape recording he made. It's enough to put this guy in jail for quite a while. I won't go to jail. They won't get me in any jail. No, maybe not. Maybe they'll send you someplace else. Someplace where they'll... Well, they're trying to cure that sick mind of yours. Come on. And that concludes tonight's peril story, The Experiment. Well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line just to say hello, 
maybe give me a suggestion, a request, a, even a critique, respectfully, please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel, obviously called Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like and share the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.